Hey, friends. Thanks for listening. I'm so glad you're uh, listening to our podcast, Little Church here in Nelwata. We uh, we love being a church. We love doing ministry together. We love worshiping together. Wanted to briefly kind of brag on this church. Um, since, uh, since I got here eight years ago, we've been tracking a number of things. One of them has been the average age in worship. This has been kind of difficult to do on the front end because you have to get everybody's actual birth date but then all you do is mark who is there on any given Sunday and um, it'll uh, calculate the average age so we've been uh, looking at the average age of worship attendees since I got here and we've always had young people in the life of the church Uh, but every year that I've been here I think the average age of our worshiping body has gone down, which is um, not something that's seen in every single church. Um, This last Sunday, we had a very young assembly. Um, We have a a firm core of kids that love worshiping together every Sunday. They're not trying to get out of there and go to the nursery or go to the fellowship hall and play around. They sit in the pews and they help each other read and follow along in the hymnal. They respond to my questions. It is quite a thing to behold. I'm so proud of our children that we have, and I'm so proud of our adults who have learned not only to tolerate them, but to cherish them. It's really a wonderful thing. So anyway, just know that as you're listening to uh, the message this time that there were 10 other people below the age of 12 listening and engaged and if children can do it then by god so can we isn't that right we're uh, picking up in chapter two of first corinthians if you didn't hear chapter one uh go ahead and go back to last week and um, that's where i really lay a solid foundation for us to understand all 16 chapters in i'm putting a little more work into knowing what i'm talking about with this series so um consider stepping up your game as well I'm always going to encourage you to actually practice what we're learning about. And in particular, the thing that we're going to come back to every week is how much influence we give to the world in our own personal lives versus the Lord. So I hope you're blessed as you meditate on these things with me as I, I, uh, you know, I've had several people come up to me and say, hey, man, you're preaching on a whole other level now. I don't know that's true, but. I know I love preaching, and it's a very blessed life that I have where I get to spend my life doing something I love. So I hope the Lord um, gives you a joyful heart at hearing his word and searching out his word and living his word. Enjoy. Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. I'm going to do a refresher, um, and of course, there's no way to, to entirely uh, go back over everything that we did last week. I'm going to remind you that we, our church has a uh, podcast 
If you get on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, just look up No Water Methodists. You can look up any scriptures that we've covered in the past. Uh, we covered 1 Corinthians chapter 1 last week, and we're doing chapter 2 today. A good foundation was laid last week. Paul already established his concerns for unity and humility. And it's because this network of house churches in Corinth is compromising their integrity in order to fit in with the culture around them. Corinth was a seaside city full of sin and lasciviousness. Had a lot of S's in there. And it uh, was very concerned with status and privilege. And so Paul is writing to correct them. He's hearing that there's divisions among them. Some are saying, well, I was baptized under Paul or I was baptized by Apollos. And he says, I thank God I didn't baptize hardly any of you because you're obviously not understanding it. So he's writing them to remind them of the basics of the faith, namely that we proclaim Christ and him crucified, not ourselves. The world we live in, and it's especially powerful in the culture of the United States of America right now, loves hubris, pride, ego. Uh, you know, my, my references are a little dated, but I remember when Kanye West was on top of the world, he was speaking boldly and proudly that he was the best musical artist the world had ever seen. And I thought that was so ludicrous, but our culture just loved it. Oh, man, he got rewarded for his, his pride. And pride goes before the fall, and he has fallen. And yet the world doesn't learn from this. We continually lift up celebrities that uh, act like they're pretty hot stuff. Paul notices that the Corinthian church is doing this as well. They have their local celebrities. They seem to be impacted by a phenomenon called sophistry. comes from the Greek word sophia for wisdom. There have always been people who think that they're pretty smart. In the ancient world, they would parade through the streets, puffing their chest out, and they would show off just how good of speakers they were. They would, get a, they would set up camp in the middle of the city and impress people with their fine language. And it seems that the Corinthian church was very impressed with these sophists. And some of these were dividing the church, people within the church, seeking high status, seeking to impress others, seeking to gain a name for themselves, Paul is going to cut their feet off. I don't, I don't know. He's, he's going to cut that off. He's going to nip that in the bud. That's what I should have said. He's not literally cutting anybody up. He's writing a letter from a distance. So let's, let's get into chapter 2 here. Chapter 2, verse 1. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. Oh, yeah, that's connected to what came at the end of chapter 1. He's saying... As it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. He's, so he's acknowledging there's something in life worth boasting about. It's God. It's not us. So he's dealing with people in the Corinthian church who are boasting about themselves or about leaders that they like. He's saying, no, we should only boast about God. So verse 2, or yeah, verse 1. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God saying, I'm not like these sophists that you're so impressed with. Rather, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, was Paul a stupid man? He shows in other contexts that he has a great knowledge, not just of the Bible and Jewish thought, but also he is a very erudite, educated Roman citizen, very familiar with Greek learning, and if he wanted to, he could show off how smart he is. 
but he knows that's going to uh, scratch the wrong itch for them. If he participates in that game with them, then he is reinforcing this way they have of thinking about things where our own wisdom, our own intelligence matters. It, let, me, let me ask you pretty directly, are you in the company of God's people because you're smarter than other people? Are you better than other people in any way? No. The, the, the scandal of grace is that we are no better than anybody else, and yet God has chosen to save us despite our unworthiness. That's what he's going to emphasize here. He says, I could have outdone these guys in their sophistry, but I chose when I was among you to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Do you all remember how long he was doing ministry in Corinth? A year and a half. And he could have been showing off that entire time everything he knew. Instead, he just talked about Jesus Christ and him crucified over and over and over. And why would he talk about Jesus? Why is he focusing on the crucifixion? Why isn't he talking about Jesus Christ and him born in a manger? Or Jesus Christ and him risen from the dead? Why does he say Jesus Christ and him crucified? Why is he picking on that, do you think? Sarah Beth, would you shut those doors as you go through there? Why do we talk about the cross? Why do we have a cross back here? Is the cross important? Why? Christ died on it for our sins. If he hadn't died on it, could you and I be saved? That is the atoning work of the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Had he not died on the cross, you and I would still be dead in our sins. Now, you can get nerdy about it and say, had he not taken on flesh we would have died in our sins. Had he not risen from the dead, we would have died in our sins. But the cross is that central place where, remember, last week he said, the cross is a scandal to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Worldly people hate the cross. When you come to them talking about a God who died, why would anyone want to serve that God? Why would anyone find that God impressive? Your God died. There are so many gods that not only don't they die, they can't die, right? That's in the ancient world we're talking about. Paul comes proclaiming God who died for our sins. In the ancient world, that is not appealing to Jews or Gentiles. And yet, did people listen? Did people follow? We're going to be talking about why in just a second. But what we need to understand is what Paul talked about made no sense in the ancient world. And if we think it makes sense to us today, then we might get some humility and, because a lot of this is called a mystery. We're going to hear how it's called a mystery in a bit, and that means you can't fully understand it. It's not self-evident. I have resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Verse 3, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. Does he sound like a very impressive person to behold? He's weak. We know that he carried a thorn in the flesh. We know he got beat up a lot. He could be talking about some kind of uh, emotional weakness, a fragile state. He could be talking about his body. The point here being, he's not an impressive sophist. He's not an amazing interlocutor. He is a humble man with a humble message that's pointing towards a good and gracious and great God. He's saying, I came to you in weakness and in fear and trembling. Do you think he was afraid of them? I don't think so. I think he had a right fear of the Lord. Remember, Jesus said, do not fear those who can destroy the body and do nothing else to you. Rather, fear him who can destroy your body and cast your soul into hell. If we are soberly living, then we have a right fear and trembling before our God in heaven. Amen? Amen. He's saying, remember, I came to you 
weak and in fear and trembling. I was not puffing my chest out. I was not being prideful. I was not talking about how I was smarter than the other sophists competing for your affections. I came to you in utter humility. That's what he's focusing on. Verse 4, my message and my preaching were not the wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Now, I'll have to confess, as I've read this over the years, I've always imagined that Paul came doing miracles that were convincing the people that, that he should be listened to. And if that's how Jesus did it, right? Jesus did miracles all over the place, validating his reign. But the thing is, his correction wouldn't make sense right here if he was doing those works of power. If he was healing people and casting out demons, he's just talking about how he came in humility and in, in, in an unimpressive form. If you're doing miracles, that's quite impressive, don't you think? I would think someone doing miracles could easily outperform the greatest speaker of his day. The people I read this week said the thing that revealed the Spirit's power was that people chose to listen and follow. He was preaching a very uncomfortable, scandalous, foolish message to people who didn't want to hear it, and yet some listened and followed. That's a miracle. And I think some of us, we look at our faith like, oh yeah, of course, why wouldn't someone follow Jesus? Following Jesus is the most unnatural thing a human can do. It is, it is, it is against common sense. It is against human nature. He says that we have to die and be born again, right? And he means that in a very literal sense. Not a very, well, not in the sense that we might interpret it literally, but he says, the old you has got to go. There's got to be a new you. You've got to achieve the mind of Christ. You've got to be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. That makes no sense to worldly people. Worldly people don't even desire that. They go, I was born this way. I'm going to die this way. God can't change me. He's going to have to take me as I am. That is not the scriptural message. The scriptural message is that Christ died and rose again, that we might die to ourselves and be raised in him. That's the expectation. And is God able to perform that in us? Yes. But he also gives us the want. Some people don't have the want. Some people, what do you do with this? Whenever people hear the good news of Jesus Christ, they hear the message, they hear the story, they hear the doctrine, and they go, that, that doesn't make any sense to me. What's that guy 2,000 years ago on a cross? What does he have to do with me? And why is he preaching, I got to deny all these natural urges that feel just fine to me? When people don't get it, is it because they're dumber than we are? Is it because they're more evil than we are? No. Paul called himself chief among sinners. That's how I self-identify as well, by the way. If it's not because we're smarter or better than, why would it be? Let's keep that question going forward. Verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom. So he's been speaking against worldly wisdom. He's saying we who are mature, it's not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. I'm going to say that again. Verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. He's making a distinction. There's God's wisdom, and then the world, there's the world's wisdom, and they are not the same thing. 
So there's like ancient Greek wisdom. The Greeks pursued wisdom as a culture with all their might. And there are some people who believe that they were grasping at God and they could have found him through wisdom. Here Paul is saying they could never find wisdom outside of Jesus. Unless you have the knowledge and love of Christ Jesus, whatever you wisdom have does, does not save you. There is no overlap between the world's wisdom and God's wisdom. Or as Tertullian said, an early church father, what has Athens to do with Jerusalem? Athens was the capital of Greece. And the reason, he says, they have nothing to do with Jerusalem, the capital of the true faith of Jesus Christ. There's no overlap. We continually want to make room for people that God himself doesn't make. Unless you have a knowledge and love of Christ Jesus, whatever wisdom you have is worth nothing. It will not, it cannot save you. Verse 7, no, we declare God's wisdom. A mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. So it's Christ alone that saves. He is the fulfillment of all of the yearnings of our hearts. And before time even began, this was God's design. It was the mystery of the ages now revealed through Christ, now we are the people who transmit that mystery to the world. That's what Paul is doing here. He's saying, I brought you this mystery. Our lives are lived now, transformed by this mystery. Verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, in a literal sense, did President Biden crucified Jesus 2,000 years ago? No. Did the Prime Minister of Israel kill Jesus 2,000 years ago? No. Did the head of the CIA kill Jesus 2,000 years ago? No. He's not talking about, when we're talking about who literally was there crying out, kill him, crucify him, crucify him, it was just Jewish leaders and people in Jerusalem at that time, right? But they were under the sway of powers and principalities of this world that continue to hold sway over rulers and principalities in the world today. There are forces of this world, and then there's the force of Jesus Christ, and the two are not aligned. They're not. We continually like to imagine that we can create a government, we can create a, a culture that perfectly aligns with God's kingdom, and history shows time and time again we can't, we don't, we screw it up, and we actually blaspheme Jesus' name as we put it on our government or on our institution or on our club the only club or institution or government that belongs to Christ Jesus is his church, which is a foretaste of the coming kingdom. And that's it. And we screw up the church too, don't we? If we're being honest. The powers and principalities of this world are the same powers and principalities that hated Jesus, killed Jesus, rejected Jesus. They might fool us into thinking they're not threatened by Jesus today. They are. They work against him with every breath they have. Verse 9. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. So God had this mystery before time that nobody knew until Christ came. It was, it was foretold. It quotes it there from Isaiah 64, verse 10. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. So the word was written down because the Holy Spirit came upon authors who wrote it down, but also, do you and I have the spirit today? 
What the Holy Spirit does is many things. He does many things. It's going to talk about one of the things that he does now. So pay attention. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What you and I have received, what we have received, is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. Can you and I know the mind of God? Yeah. He's saying, your spirit knows what's in your head, right? Same with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit knows what's in God's head. And when the Holy Spirit is in you, he will reveal God to you. You can know the mind of God. And that's why it's okay for scriptures to tell us that we need to have the mind of Christ. Through the Holy Spirit, you and I are given special access to God that people without the Spirit do not have. Does that sound like a big deal? If that's not a big deal, I don't know what is. You and I have different definitions of big deal. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments for, quote, who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. So you and I can know the mind of Christ. We can have the mind of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes that available to us. And is he able? Is the Holy Spirit able? You know the right answer to this. Is the Holy Spirit God? Every bit as much as the Father and the Son. He is the third person of the, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. And Christ has sent us his Spirit so let's come back to that question I asked you a little bit ago. When people hear the good news of Jesus Christ and they are not impressed or it makes no sense to them, why is that? According to this, very good, Vicki, because they do not have the Holy Spirit. The only reason that you and I can understand it, be drawn to it, be compelled to obey it, is because God has given us his Spirit. There are a lot of people like me who have not spoken in tongues, have not healed anybody. I've not been given a special word directly from God where I heard his voice booming in my ears and I've asked at times, maybe I don't have the Holy Spirit. If you have a heart that desires holiness and hates sin, if you have a heart that is drawing you closer to God and his people, if you have a heart that desires to know his word and discern the spirits and walk in holiness... Well, brothers and sisters, the only reason that would happen is because God has put his spirit in you. If you didn't have his spirit, you would not want these things. That's good news. I needed that good news today. I needed reminding of that today because a lot of times I feel like 
God isn't meeting my needs. You know, I see other people who are just so filled with feelings and having powerful experiences. And man, I'm just getting through each day. I'm just trying to love my wife right and take care of my kids and pay my bills and minister to my people that I love. And there are some who would look at me and say, man, he's not walking in the spirit. But, you know, I do hunger and thirst for God every day. And I'm not perfect, and I, I, I am working towards it, but it's, it's Christ in me that does anything good. And I need him. Oh, I need him. Every hour I need him. I want to come back to the first part of this chapter that talks about the importance of humility and simplicity. I hope it's practical. I hope what I just spent time on was practical. You know, I hope you know, that some of you who might have anxiety from time to time... Does God love me? Has he sent me his spirit? If you're here, chances are good he is prompting you here. I want you to take comfort in that. The other practical thing is navigating this present age because this present age is like the ancient age where it likes the new, the hip, the cool. It likes having status. It likes following elites. God doesn't care for those things at all. Those things are often enemies of the faith. And rather than rebuking the world and having a countercultural message, there are so many churches that mimic the culture of the world and have celebrity preachers and entertaining services and sermons. I was talking, I, I'm, I, I speak ill of things every now and again. I'll speak ill of a church I saw a couple weeks ago that decided it somehow glorified Jesus to have a photo op that was Star Wars themed. I think it was on Father's Day. And they had the fathers dress up as Darth Vader. He's the bad guy. This is one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. It's just such a lack of discernment. Friends, is the church here to help people have fun? There are plenty of other organizations that can do that. We are the one organization on earth that carries the name and the banner of Christ Jesus. But what you win them with is what you win them to. And what a lot of churches have forgotten to ask is, are we proclaiming Christ and him glorified? Or are we preaching health, wealth, and prosperity? Are we preaching a cheap grace? Are we preaching easy beliefism? Are we preaching that you can be loved by the world and by God? That's the American church that we're swimming in right now, and a lot of people don't have that discernment to know the difference between a worldly church that is dead and a church walking in the Spirit. I pray all the time that we're a true church. But that's not determined by me. That's determined by the Holy Spirit first off, and then by you faithfully walking in the faith. So what are some good means of determining, are we a true church or not? Are we walking faithfully in the spirit or not? You tell me, how do we discern that? When I say you tell me, that means you tell me. Tell me, how do we know? Jesus said, he who would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So Johnny just said, if we take up our cross and follow him. If we are not concerned with status or pride or ego, but everything in our lives is pointing to Christ and him crucified and what he did for us, 
If we are denying ourselves, if when people praise us, we go, only God is good. If we are denying our flesh and we're saying, hey, flesh, I know my body wants this. I want creature comforts, but no, God has called me to be holy. There's a whole way of life that Christ has designed for us. He establishes the scriptures as a litmus test. And that's how you know. We don't have to go through life going, I don't know who's with Jesus. I have no idea. Jesus says you judge a tree by its fruits, right? He expects us to use that discernment, not just towards others, but especially towards ourselves. He expects me to look in the mirror and judge myself according to the standard of Christ. And a true church is composed of members who do that. And as we get together every Sunday, we hear God's word, we hold ourselves against the mirror of God's word, and we walk in his spirit every day. Amen? Why? One, so that we ourselves can be saved. But two, so that we can save others. And we have a world that needs to be saved, don't we? We got people that live around this church building. We got people who live around your homes that are living in sin and darkness, death and despair. And they don't have the gospel. You do. And God's not calling all of them. But he's calling some of them. And what's the only way to know who he's calling? You just got to tell him. Most are not going to be impressed with it. Most are going to go, I don't understand. I don't care about that. But God is going to send his Holy Spirit to some of them. And against all that they've been indoctrinated by the world for, God will bring some to repentance. But it's not going to happen unless you or someone else tells them. And if you don't tell them, God's going to bring someone else who will. And that's the good news. If we're not a true church, then God isn't going to prosper us. We might get more people in these pews, but they're not going to be people seeking holiness and righteousness but if we are a true church, then God will prosper this church in holiness, not health, wealth, and prosperity. He will bless us with his Holy Spirit, and we will see many lives transformed for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. I'm excited to keep doing ministry with y'all. God has planted a good thing here. Let's keep watering our garden together. Amen?